I have three children, and this morning, as I was brushing my teeth, uh, my two oldest came in with a card, and my oldest has said, I made this for you all by myself. And what was funny is the middle child had just nodded in agreement. I did not help. That is correct. <laughs> and then what's even funnier is clearly it was all in my wife's handwriting. So I said, you're a liar. I don't accept this. And I tore it up in his face, and I said, come to me when you learn to spell. Happy Father's Day. For Father's Day to sell, that's a joke, by the way, I'm, I don't, uh, my kids are very sarcastic because of me. Um, we all celebrate Father's Day a different way. I, I am going to go home, uh, I'm not going to go home, actually, I'm going to go get wings at Wingstop, that's my place, and then I'm going to go home and I'm going to watch soccer, even though the soccer game is happening right now, and I'm going to enjoy the silence while my children have quiet alone time in their bedrooms. I'm not from Columbus. That was also sarcastic. They're not quiet. I'm not from Columbus, but since moving to Columbus, what has changed is I've become a food expert um, because of all the great restaurants. Well, an expert eater. Uh, I eat at all the restaurants. Uh, everything around, I love trying. I love trying new things. Uh, I don't know if you're like that. Uh, I don't like going to the same place twice. Even uh, my wife and I, when we go on dates, we were just talking and we were like, and what's the point of going to a place that we've already been to? Like, we already know what it's like. We need to find a new place. So I love going to new places, and I get a lot of recommendations um, from food bloggers, on social media, from friends uh, telling me about a place. And to be frank, I'm not going to go to the place you recommend. Um, if you, uh, however, if you say, I went to this great place, and I want you to come with me, and I will get you a meal because it's that good, there is a 100% chance that I will go. I will drop whatever Father's Day card I'm tearing up, and I will go out with you immediately. See, there's a big difference between a recommendation and an invitation. It's part of the reason I love Jay so much. He is on an unofficial quest to find the best burger in Columbus. And every weekend, he comes to me and says, Mike, I found the best burger in Columbus. And I say, that's great, Jay. And he says, will you go with me? right now. And I say, I will definitely go with you right now. See, Jay gets excited and he invites people along. Some of you experienced this. Jay's a lead pastor here. He just gets so excited and he wants you to come along. He wants to be with you as you, you taste this amazing good food. See, invitation is the key. There's a big difference between invitation and recommendation. A lot of us recommend things. A lot of Christians are in the habit of recommending things. In a world of being connected, it's actually our relationships with our neighbors that actually suffers, that they receive the most recommendation and the least amount of invitation. I found this in the New York Times from uh, May of last year. It says this, over the last several decades, technology has empowered us to invest much more time and attention in our most and least intimate relationships. Parents can text their children throughout the day if they knew how to text. Uh, and FaceTime, sorry, that was my parents. They're terrible at texting. And FaceTime with them while they travel. To that end, while only 13% of baby boomers kept in more than daily touch with their parents during a young adulthood, Nearly one-third of Americans in their early 20s now report communicating with their mother and father at least once a day. 
On the flip side, we spend much more time online flirting with strangers, trolling politicians, and tweaking fantasy rosters and leagues managed by people we've never met in person or talked to by phone. Because our most intimate and our more ephemeral relationships now claim additional bandwidth, neighborly ties have suffered. We've abandoned the familiar relationships between members of a bowling league or an Elks Lodge. When the, general so, uh, when the general social survey asked Americans to report whether they had shared a social evening with a family member, a distant friend, or a neighbor, respondents reported far fewer interactions only with the people nearby. We're more connected than ever, but we're simultaneously estranged from the people who live next door. What this is saying is simply technology in a world of connectedness is helping everything except our interactions with the people who are right next to us, the people who live next to us, the people who work with us. And Christians, we're not simply victims of our technologically advanced culture. We're actually accessories. We're contributors. We contribute to this. See, neighborly invita invitation is a part of our Christian faith. It's been overlooked and undervalued in both my personal experience and my observations in the Western church. However, invitation into homes has been integral to the story of God's people. If you look at Genesis 18, Psalm 39, Leviticus 25, and Joshua 2, and that's just in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, you can look at James chapter 2, Romans chapter 12, 1 Peter chapter 4, Matthew chapter 10 and chapters 25, and Hebrews chapter 13. Hospitality and invitation are integral to God's people. And this sermon this morning, it's going to be as much a sermon as it is a repentant act for me. I felt very convicted and excited to learn and explore what hospitality, what invitation looks like. So this morning, uh, we're going to look at the fact that God is a God of invitation. Secondly, we're going to look at the power of invitation. And lastly, the practice of invitation. So I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. There's a Bible in front of you. You can use a smart device. Or if you'd like, you can just listen and enjoy. This is Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 24. He also said to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet... Do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done and still there is room. 
And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. This is the word of God for the people of God. So looking at this passage, excuse me one second. Jesus has been invited to dinner uh, by a, a religious, excuse me, a religious leader and some lawyers. And this is kind of the back end of the meal, so you can imagine how great the front end was. Uh, Jesus is having this meal. He's correcting them. Uh, he's rebuking them. Uh, he's being gracious to them. Uh, and then he, in verse 12, opens up with uh, essentially criticizing the host, uh, rebuking the host, saying, everyone you brought here, religious leaders and lawyers, they can all pay you back but you need to invite people who cannot pay you back. And then, awkward silence. Everyone's reclining. Maybe somebody's eating a little too loudly. Then somebody says, blessed is the one who eats bread in the kingdom of God. And everyone says, oh, yes, that is true. And this isn't wrong, but then Jesus responds. He starts off with telling a parable, and a parable is just a story. It's a story that communicates a greater point. And I can imagine this guy, he's like, yes, I know what to say. I can break the tension. Blessed is the man who eats bread in the kingdom of God. Okay, now let's move on. And then, God, uh, then Jesus says, let me tell you a story. And he's like, ah, dang it. He's going to tell us another parable. So Jesus is telling this parable about a host offering a great banquet. And we know that this host is actually a picture of God because it's in response to what this man says. So this host is a picture of God and this host is offering a great banquet. We see that God is a God of invitation. So firstly, he offers this great banquet. And this time, banquets took time to prepare. It took money to prepare. You couldn't just go to the grocery store. You had to make something, quote-unquote, from scratch, which I still don't really know what that means. <laughs> I know what it means. It took money to prepare. He had to use uh, his possessions to make the food. If they had any meat, they would have to kill the meat. Well, that's not, they had to kill the animal, and it became meat. They had to slaughter the animal. I don't even know how you do it. Invites went out in advance. They sent invitations to people, and they responded. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't receive a whole lot of invitations to things anymore except for Facebook invitations, and I just click maybe. <laughs> I don't do that. Um, but uh, talking to uh, people who just got married, summer is wedding season, uh, and I meet with a lot of these couples before they get married. One of the things that's the most obnoxious can you guys guess it? Getting RSVPs, that's right. And they make it so easy for us. There's like a box that you check. They're like, here are the three meats that we're serving. Uh, and I, there's a stamp and my address. Literally, like you don't even have to lick it anymore. We live in the future. And there's just minimal activity. And I still will not do it. I cannot. I will text you a couple days before the wedding. Medium rare steak, please. Thank you. We, so this, this great banquet had invitations sent out, and these people responded. So this was a big deal. It took a lot of sacrifice from the host. So firstly, we see that God offers this great banquet, and then God's invitation demands a response. 
And he reaches out to these three different groups of people. Firstly, he reaches out to this group that already RSVP'd. So there's actually two invitations in this culture. Firstly, will you come? And then secondly, the servant comes out and says, the food and everything is ready. Uh, Let's go eat. And so now you can understand maybe why the host was angry. It wasn't because they declined. It's because they accepted and they declined. Each man has a different excuse. And uh, we might look at it and be like, oh, yeah, these are weird. These are definitely weird. Looking over a field, like, that's weird. Uh, Looking at your five oxen, uh, there's only three at the Columbus Zoo, so it's not a big deal. I know what they look like. The last one, we're like, okay, like, I I understand that. You know, they just got married. Like, we want to give them some space. And actually, the third one is so interesting because actually in Deuteronomy, The law says that it's appropriate for somebody to cancel plans if they've been recently married. And now Jesus is saying that this person is doing something wrong. Take it easy. Now, to the people who are listening to this, these are all very normal activities. So they wouldn't be weirded out by somebody looking over a field or wanting to look at their oxen. But what Jesus is actually saying is that the invitation is greater than all of these things. What I'm inviting you to is so much greater, is so much better. The feast is so much more celebratory. The food is so much tastier. So thinking about this invitation and that these, uh, these excuses are, are not out of the ordinary, it makes me ask the question, how am I declining God's invitation? When the Lord sends his servant and invites me to a feast, do I say, ah, I'm really sorry, I... I I really want to gaze across my savings account right now. Or maybe I'm saying, I have too much work to do. I have too many things for God to do. I do not have time to come and be. How are we declining God's invitation? So all these people say no. So the host is a little upset and says, okay, let's, let's go to the, the alleys and the lanes, which uh, doesn't mean a whole lot to us. But in this culture, this is where the worst people hung out. It was where the poor and the needy hung out. So the host said, this party is happening, definitely. So let's bring in people and sit in these seats. And it literally says in here that the servant brought them in. He says, bring them in. They could not come on their own strength. They could not come in their own ability. God brings people to his feast. And then there's still even more seats. And so the host says, go outside of the city and bring these people in. Now, outside of the city, it says, compel them in, compel them in. And that's because these are just sojourners. They didn't live in the city. They didn't know the name of the host. So imagine uh, you're driving with your family to, say, Florida. And uh, somebody stops you and says, hey, there's a party. Do you want to come? I would say, that is a sure way to get murdered. (laughs) So the servant goes to compel these people. And do you think that he compelled them with guilting them or using arguments? No. I imagine he compelled them with talking about how great the feast is. How generous the host is. How there's a seat just for you at this feast. So God's invitation demands a response. And what is this feast that people are being brought into? Because we know this is a parable. It's not just actual food, but it's a feast of the kingdom of God, a place to come and rest and be fed, a place to celebrate Christ's work and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is what we're being invited into today. 
Invitation is at the center of God's story and our own story. And invitation is so much more powerful than any of us can fully imagine or comprehend. In our everyday lives, invitation impacts the way we see our friends, or excuse me, see ourselves and who our friends actually are. If you don't believe me, uh, I myself have been sad to have not been invited places. There are grown adults who feel left out because they're not invited. If it's a, as Michael Scott would say, I love inside jokes. I'd love to be a part of one someday. There's little invitations like that happening every single day interactions. Then there's big invitations, parties, celebrations. Now we're going to look at uh, verses chapter, excuse me, verses 12 through 14, and to look at the power of invitation, to acknowledge its pure power. And in this culture, invitation, having people in, was not simply a matter of, hey, I like you, let's hang out. It was actually like an investment. It was a quid pro quo kind of situ- situation where you would invite people in who you knew for certain were going to pay you back by doing the same thing. It was this big uh, social networking uh, kind of situation. And so this is what makes it what Jesus says so powerful. He says, invite the poor, invite the needy, the crippled, the blind, the lame, because you know they will not pay you back. So how is, pow- how is invitation so powerful? Well, firstly, invitation shows inherent value. Invitation shows inherent value. It says you have a place at the table. You are invited no matter how little or how much you have to offer. For us, we have to recognize that God's image is reflected in the eyes of every human being on earth. It's this idea called the Imago Dei. It's Latin for image God, the image of God that every single person on earth has the image of God. Rosario Butterfield in her book, uh, about hospitality, she said this, the, hum- the value of human life to God is inherent, who we are, image bearers, not instrumental, what we are able to do and accomplish. We are worthy because of our ontology, our origins in God's image. When we invite people into our home, when we invite people into our space, when we invite people to the table, we are saying you are valuable and you are worthy. Secondly, invitation makes strangers into neighbors. Invitation makes strangers into neighbors. From that quote we read earlier from the New York Times, proximity does not essentially mean anything. You could be close to somebody and never know their name, never have an interaction with them. And an invitation, inviting someone into your home, it makes that proximity actually turn into neighbors. Some of you may feel it's too late to reach out. I don't know if you've ever had this relationship where you've hung out with somebody for a long time and you've had memories together and you still don't know their name and it's like getting too late to ask because you've had like really special moments together. Some of us can feel that way with our neighbors. And I've lived here for like five years and I don't know you. And we feel like just bringing it up, inviting them to our home is going to make things weird. In fact, my, my grandfather, who's a great man, he used to have a system If he forgot someone's name, he would ask them, how do you spell your name? And that worked until someone said, B-O-B, Bob. And that was also my grandfather's name. So that system didn't work out for him. Proximity does not mean knowing, but when we invite people into our homes, they become neighbors who know and depend on each other. 
Then lastly, the power of invitation. Invitation makes neighbors into family. If we're honest with ourselves, we have a tendency to choose our own friends, people who think like us, people who act like us, people who have affinities and natural connection points. But the thing is, is invitation, it privileges the stranger. Invitation says, I know we don't have a lot in common, but come into my home and know me and experience my friendship. Invitation brings outsiders into the inner circle. I think of Ben Stiller and Meet the Parents. He got invited into the inner circle, and it was terrifying. The inner circle is a place where there's love and trust and respect. In fact, I have some of this with some friends who lived across the hall from us when we lived in an apartment, Bobby and Chelsea. They started out as strangers. We would walk past them, and then we hung out with them in our home. They turned from strangers into neighbors. We depended on each other. We would try to let their dog Chewy out if he let us, but he was a little crazy. They would watch our son when we would go out on dates, and our friendship grew to the point where I got to officiate their wedding thinking about the beauty of these people who were once strangers, then became neighbors, and then became family. So God is a God of invitation. Invitation Invitation is powerful and real for each and every one of us. Then lastly, I want to talk a little bit practically about the practice of invitation. Now practice, uh, I do have some music students uh, who I teach, and I try to tell them they're kids, And I try to tell them, I would rather you practice five minutes a day for seven days a week rather than 35 minutes once a week. Everyday practice is what helps us grow in our effectiveness and our ability. When we think about the practice of invitation, I love this question that was from the book, A Meal with Jesus. He says, how do your meals express your vision for life? How do your meals express your vision for life? Maybe there's a lot of fast food. Maybe you're in a hurry a lot. Or maybe you're a health nut and all your food is uh, disgusting. (laughs) Um, Think about the way that you eat. Think about the way that you spend your meals. Who are you with? What are you eating? How much time are you using? How much money are you spending? How do your meals express your vision for life? So I wanted to ask a couple questions. I think there are four of these, and we'll close with this. Firstly, what is the goal of being together? What is the goal of being together? And this is what we call entertainment versus hospitality. Entertainment versus hospitality. Entertainment is is a Martha Stewart kind of be impressed by how good I'm cooking, and she's amazing at cooking, I think. Um, But be impressed by me. Leave your problems at the door and come here and sit and be served. This also accidentally promotes a dichotomy between the host and the guest. In an entertainment, you say, oh, can I put that dish away? No, 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 no. You, you sit here, and I'm going to do all the work. Hospitality says, come and bring your problems. It also pr- promotes a relationship of equality and intimacy. People don't want to solely be served. We want to be in a relationship of dependence, of mutual dependence on each other. Hospitality is the physical outworking of being being in a culture of invitation. 
So are you inviting people into entertainment or hospitality? Secondly, what is the purpose of your home? Is it a castle or is it a hospital? I don't know about you, but I can't remember a time before HGTV. And we have this time, uh, this way to clock time before Christ and in the year of our Lord, but I clock it before HGTV and in the year of our Lord, HGTV. And you're watching these, uh, these people trying to buy homes, and they'll say, oh, yeah, I'm a volunteer kindergarten teacher, uh, and I'm an artist, and our budget is three and a half million. And you're like, yes, like that's what we're going for. Just need to get that approval. You're thinking of home, and maybe some of you are thinking, I don't have a home. I'm not even comfortable in the place that I live, let alone inviting people in there. Some of us are like, I I like my home, and I I like it the way it is. It is kind of my safe space. It's where I go to recharge my batteries. When you think about a castle, a castle is preserved. It is stale. It's a museum of history It's the last line of defense to preserve a way of life. Castles were so strong and they were made in the center of cities so that if they were being attacked, people could hide in the castle to preserve themselves. Think about that uh, compared to a hospital. A hospital is well used. A hospital's purpose is for the sick to come in. And there's an end result as well, and that is to heal the sick. But a home isn't always just a building. Uh, There's something called third place. I know a lot of people have a third place at old school, which is a bar. Maybe your third place is the gym or vertical horizons, adventures. I always forget what it is. I don't climb. Or maybe your third place is at a soccer field, a place that feels like home. When we think about inviting people into our home, into our safe space for refuge and protection. Thirdly, who is allowed in your home? Who is allowed in your home? And this is a guest list versus an open door. A guest list versus an open door. Jesus says in verses 12 through 14, he says, invite the poor, invite the needy, invite the lame, not people who can pay you back. Has anybody ever been to a place that had a guest list? Anybody? No, me neither. Never been cool enough to be put on a guest list. See, a guest list, it turns people away. A guest list is an invitation only, and you did not receive an invite. A guest list evaluates people by achievement or class. What can you do for me? How good are you to make it into my party or dinner? Whereas an open door, it brings people in. Everybody is allowed and accepts people for their humanity. Then lastly, what does your schedule look like? What does your schedule look like? Is that busy versus open? So many of us don't have time because our schedules are so busy. And I'm not saying that you need to fill up your schedule with more time meeting with people you don't know, having them in your home. But I am saying that you need more time that is open and available. A lot of times needs don't come when you're prepared. They come when you're not ready. Doing things in a way that have a margin for change. That's part of the reason that at Scarlet City Church, we don't do a ton of things. We don't do that because we're lazy or don't have the competence or the volunteers. We do that for a value. 
to make time for our church to be the church, to make time for us to invite people into our homes, people we don't know, people who are not a part of God's family. So we see that God is a God of invitation. We see that there's a lot of power in invitation. We also see different ways for us to practice invitation. And I want to close with this, that God is the ultimate host. Even when we're inviting people into our home, God is first and foremost the host. And it's his invitation that instills inherent value. Having people in your home is scary. It really is. Because it is a vulnerable act. Because they come into your house and they eat your food and they look at your art or your lack of things to look at or they see how dirty it is or would you really like that wall color? Having people in your home is, is scary. And if you don't have your identity firmly rooted in being an image bearer of God, it is going to be very hard to have strangers in your home. Remember that it is God's hospitality that makes us a family. We are first brought into his family. We remember that the preparation was costly. We talked about the sacrifice that it took the host to make the preparations for the, for the uh, banquet, for the feast. And lastly, we remember that the feast is ultimately a celebration, a celebration of rest in the person and the worth of Jesus Christ. We have all been invited to sit and share in the blessing of God through the servant Jesus Christ. We must respond to this invitation. Nothing in life should get in the way of responding to what God is doing through Jesus Christ. So when we're inviting people into our home, we remember that we were first invited. We remember that we are the crippled. We are the blind. We are the sojourners. And God, through Jesus, has brought us to the table. And when we invite people, we are inviting them to the same banquet, to the same feast that he brought us to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your generosity. We thank you for the sacrifices you've made. We thank you that we're invited to the feast, that this is not something that is exclusive. This is not something that has a guest list, but all are invited to dine and rest and to be filled and to enjoy your presence, your goodness, and your mercy. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would be a culture of invitation, that we would not just spend our time and our energy on the people we know, on people who are like us, that we would reach out to those who are near to us. We would reach out to our neighbors. We'd reach out to our coworkers. We'd reach out to the poor and the needy, and we would invite them into our home. That we would make great sacrifices to consider their needs. We would make great sacrifices to invite them to partake in the meal that you have blessed us with. Heavenly Father, we pray all of this in the name of your Son, Jesus, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.